Well, thank you so much to the worship team this morning for singing and leading us in worship. And uh, what a great song to lead into our message this morning. On Friday, I was about ready to send Jonathan a note or a text to say, hey, can we sing He Will Hold Me Fast? And just before I did, he sent us the order of service, which had He Will Hold Me Fast in there. So either telepathy is working or uh, maybe the spirit is working. We're not sure which one, but uh, most likely it's the spirit. Um, leading us to that. So uh, so thankful for the worship team uh, leading us into that song this morning and helping us direct our minds and our hearts and our thoughts to that great theme of the fact that Christ is the one who in fact holds us fast. We've been looking at a series of messages the last three weeks. We've looked at uh, dealing with trials in a fallen world two weeks ago. Last week we looked at dealing with the government in a fallen world, and this week we're looking at dealing with uncertainty in a fallen world. All of the challenges and the difficulties, all of the things that we're facing, all of the situations that each one of us are going through are all part of a fallen world. This is all uh, part of the consequences of sin that have ravished our world uh, for centuries and will continue to do so until that point at which Christ makes our world whole again. He destroys this world and creates a new one. And so we're looking forward to that day where there will be no sin, there will be no sorrow, there will be no troubles, there will be no issues. Uh, but until that day comes, we will face problems and trials and issues and circumstances that will cause us to have to know how to navigate the the realities of a fallen world in such a way that glorifies and pleases Christ. And so this morning we're going to be looking at the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 1, looking specifically at verses 15 through 20 this morning. And as Michael has read for us this morning from the book of Mark, Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41, the story of the disciples out on the Sea of Galilee and the storm that came and battered them and tossed them and scared them and frightened them. And yet in the midst of it all, Jesus Christ, in one small moment, whispers, peace be still, and everything is silent. Sometimes we wonder, why doesn't Christ just do that for us? Why don't... We cry out to Christ, and in one quiet, smooth moment, he just says, peace be still, and everything is silent. Everything is quiet. Everything is fine. Well, the reality of this is that even in the midst of trials and circumstances and difficulties, much like the disciples faced in that boat, this is an opportunity for Christ to be glorified because he is working and he is bringing peace even in the midst of the chaos of the storms of life. And so this morning we want to look at how do we as believers deal with the uncertainty of life amidst a fallen world. They say that the only two things that are certain in life are death and taxes. And certainly we are fully aware of the reality of death and fully aware of the reality of taxes. If we aren't aware of the reality of taxes, for those of us in America, we will be in the years to come for all the stimulus that has come our way these last few weeks. And certainly taxes will be more at the forefront of our mind. 
along with the death and the reality of death. Those are certain things you know that you can count on them. But beyond that, there's not much else that we know for certain we can count on. We can't count on other human beings. We can't count on situations to stay the same. We, we can't count on consistency in any aspect of life because we live in a fallen world. And the reality of a fallen world is that things are constantly in change and things are constantly in flux. And we have the challenges and the difficulties of life to face while we are here on earth, which makes us long more and more for the day that we are gathered in heaven around the throne of Jesus Christ. And so in the meantime, we need some certainty, we need some assurance, we need some confidence of how do we handle these situations. Well, this morning we're going to look at first, or rather at Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. And this is a, a hopefully a familiar text to many of you. It's a text that deals specifically with the preeminence of Christ. It deals with the creation of Jesus Christ. It deals with the sovereignty of Jesus Christ. It deals with the very essence of who Christ is, the one who is holding us fast. And so we look in verse 15 of Colossians chapter 1. He, that's Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Let's have a word of prayer before we begin this morning. Father, we are so thankful to you for all that you have done for us. And Father, this morning we are especially thankful for Christ, who not only came, as we looked at on Easter Sunday, came in the form of a man, took upon him, the form of servant and the likeness of man, but became obedient unto death, and not just death, but death on the cross. And that as a result of that, you have highly exalted him, and you have given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Father, this morning as we deal with and handle the, the matters of this life that we're facing, the troubles of this life that we're dealing with as we struggle our way through a fallen world with all of the uncertainties and all of the, the issues and all of the problems that we see within this world, Father, I pray that you would help us to turn to the only one who is our sufficient sustainer through the midst of uncertainty, that is Jesus Christ. What a great gift you have given to us. And Father, may we find him holding us fast. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. I remember some time ago, maybe when we were living in New Mexico, I believe it was, so probably the middle of the 2000 time frame, maybe 2004 or five. I was returning back down to Farmington, New Mexico from Denver, Colorado, and it was in the wintertime. Kimberly and the kids were staying with 
her mom in Denver, and I was making my way by myself back down to Farmington, and I was coming through one of the many mountain passes that you have to go through in order to get from Denver to Farmington. And it was the middle of winter, and was often the case, we had a snowstorm in the mountains. It was uh, very common to deal with uh, blizzard-like conditions while trying to make our way over mountain passes through that situation of going from Denver to Farmington. And on one such occasion, I found myself coming around a bend near the top of a mountain, and suddenly it was a whiteout conditions. Everything went white. It was uh, really one of the most bizarre feelings I've ever had in the fact that coming around that bend, suddenly I could sense and see nothing other than white. The mountain was encased in snow. The road was encased in snow. The cliff that was going right off the edge of the road was all snow. It was all white. I couldn't see anything other than white. And it was like I went blind for a few seconds. And I remember coming to a stop, really not the smartest move, but coming to the stop on a, on a bend in the road and just coming to a complete stop because I didn't know where the road ended and where I was going to go off. I didn't know how the road turned. I couldn't see anything. It was like being blind. And I remember panicking a little bit and thinking to myself, how am I going to get out of this situation? And, and I couldn't see any path forward. I couldn't see any way to make my way around the corner, around the, the road to be able to continue on. And I, I really was fearful for a, a split second. Fortunately, there was nobody behind me and nobody coming the other way. And I remember sitting there just for a second thinking, how am I going to figure this out? And I kept blinking and trying to, trying to refocus my eyes and trying to see anything that I could see and nothing. It was all pure white. And out in the distance, out on the, on the plain area, out, out as the mountain kind of leveled out, uh, probably about two miles or so out, I was able to pick up the little dark spot of a fence post. And that was enough surprisingly enough to refocus my mind, to refocus my eyes, to be able to get some clarity as to the surroundings that I found myself in on top of that mountain, to be able to then make my way the rest of the way through the mountain pass and down back home. Well, for many of us, we are going through some uncertain times. And maybe you feel like I did on that mountain pass of not really knowing what to expect, not knowing what's happening, not knowing what's going on, not knowing what's taking place, and having no ability to refocus yourself, so to speak. Having no ability to be able to come to clarity of thought and mind. And sometimes, like I needed on that mountain pass, we need to be able to just get a glimpse, just to be able to see a vision of something that is going to focus our attention and take it off of the situation and to bring us to a point where we can then see with clarity the rest of the things that are around us. Well, I believe that this text that does that for us, this text in a powerful and a very succinct manner brings us to a focal point that brings clarity to the uncertainties of our life that we're dealing with. For those of you, like the rest of us, who are dealing with the uncertainty of life right now, we need the truths that are found in these six verses of Scripture. That we would be able to refocus our mind, to refocus our attention, to be able to refocus our heart, to be able to say, this is what I need to focus on. See, when we go through trials, we go through difficulties, we go through uncertainty, we're so bombarded with all sorts of different bits of information. For those of you that 
follow anything on social media, you understand that our world is bombarded with information. Good, bad, otherwise, true or false, we don't know anymore. We just have information flooding our minds. And it's hard for us to navigate through that to say, what is true and what is right and what do I need to focus on? And when we as believers go through difficult situations, when we as believers go through the difficult situations of life, the thing that will drive us to have clarity and that will drive us to be able to continue to move forward for the cause of Christ is to find our source of confidence in the unchanging character and attributes of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is what will bring clarity. So in a world that has muddied our minds with facts and data and science and opinions and premises and all sorts of things, those of us who are believers must turn to Scripture to be reminded of the truths of who our Lord and Savior is, because He is the only one who is going to be able to sustain us through the uncertainties of life that we face. So this morning, we want to examine these six characteristics of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ from Colossians Chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. Six characteristics of God, of Jesus Christ, that are presented to us in very succinct manner here in this particular passage. And so as we look at these six truths this morning, may they be a good reminder of a, refocal, a refocusing of our mind and refocusing of our thoughts and refocusing of our attention to say, this is who Christ is. Amidst all the noise, of this world. This is what we must focus on. So first and foremost, we see this. Jesus Christ is God. Therefore, nothing is uncertain for him. Verse 15 of Colossians chapter 1 says this. He, Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. The statement that Paul makes here in the book of Colossians is that Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. Literally, he is the exact imprint. He is the stamp of God the Father. In fact, when Christ came to earth, he reminds us of this very fact. In John chapter 14, verse 9, he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Bible tells us that no man has seen God at any time. No man has seen God the Father. No man has looked upon God and has glorified body as a glorified being as God the Father, but we've seen Jesus Christ. This is the whole point of 1 John chapter 1, when John is recording for us we, that which was from the beginning, which we heard, which we handled, which we touched, which we witnessed, all of the ministry of Jesus Christ that John was a witness to. He says, we're testifying to you, we're, we're declaring to you, so that you may have fellowship with us, and your joy may be complete. We have seen Christ. I haven't seen Christ. But I've seen the evidence of Christ. I've seen the work of Christ. I've seen the hand of Christ. As he is working amidst the uncertain aspects of life, as he's working amidst the fallen nature of this world, we see the very hand of God in every moment of every day. The challenge for us is that there's so much other noise, we have a hard time discerning what is really the hand of God and the work of God. But here, Paul begins with his first argument for how we can have certainty amidst uncertain times. He says, Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. He is the one who is supreme above all creation. Well, 
what do we know about God? You say, well, maybe I'm not too familiar with church. I'm not too familiar with God. So, well, big deal. Jesus Christ is God. Why does Paul need to make that assertion first? Why does Paul need to put that claim out there first? Well, what do we know about God? Well, we know that God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. We know that God is omnipresent. He is everywhere, present with us. We'll look in a little bit at Psalm 139, verses 7 through 16. But verse 7, 8, 9, and 10. Where shall I go from thy spirit? Or where shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. God is present everywhere. Jesus Christ is present everywhere. He is omniscient. He knows all things in a world where experts and academians are trying to tell us that they know everything there is to know with certainty about something that is uncertain. Jesus Christ actually knows all things. He is omniscient. He's all-powerful. He's all-present. He's all-knowing. He is holy. He is righteous. He is loving. He is good. He is faithful. He is true. Everything we need that we long for is found in Jesus Christ. And Paul begins this particular set of verses by saying, let's remind you of who Jesus Christ is. He is first and foremost the image of the invisible God. He is the exact imprint of God because he is God. The entire ministry of Christ's earthly ministry was based on the fact that he was God, which allowed him to pay for our sins. He died and rose again. But not only is Jesus Christ God, Paul moves into verse 16 and reminds us that Jesus Christ is creator. Therefore, nothing is uncertain for him. Verse 16, for by him, that's Christ. Again, the, the subject here is Christ. For by him, all things were created. And then Paul says, in case you weren't aware what all things mean, let me tell you what all things mean. In heaven and on earth, whether visible or invisible, whether thrones or dominions, or rulers or authorities, Paul said there is nothing that is outside the scope and the ability of Christ to create everything. Not only does he have the ability to create everything, he actually did create everything. All things were created through him. And here is the great phrase, and for him. The purpose of creation is the glory of God. Simply put from Colossians 1.16. Why am I here? I'm here for the glory of Christ. Why are you here? For the glory of Christ. Why are the mountains here? For the glory of Christ. Why are kingdoms here? Why are rulers here? Why are things that are invisible here or things that are visible here, all for the glory of Christ. And so Paul reminds us not only in verse 15 is Jesus Christ God, therefore nothing is uncertain for him, but he reminds us as well in verse 16 that Jesus Christ is creator, therefore nothing is uncertain for him. You say, well, what's the big deal about Jesus Christ being creator? How does that make things certain for him? Well, the implication that Paul alludes to here in verse 16, the very fact that Jesus Christ is the creator of everything means he is therefore the owner of everything. And by being owner of everything means he has authority over everything. See, some people create things, you know, like we have sci-fi movies of monsters that are created but then become greater than their creator. Creation will never become greater than the creator. 
Jesus Christ is the creator of all things, as Paul alludes to here. Whether invisible or visible, whether thrones or, uh, or, or dominions or rulers or authorities, everything was created by Christ. And nothing will ever supersede the authority of Jesus Christ. Meaning this, everything that we experience, even coronavirus, is under the authority of Jesus Christ. To the unsaved person who may look at this and say, well, this is retarded. You Christians talk about Christ being the author and the authority and the creator of all things, and yet you say he has authority over coronavirus. Why in the world would he allow something like this to transpire? If God is so loving, if God is so caring, if God is so wonderful, like you Christians say, then why in the world does he allow these things to take place? Why do hurricanes happen and kill people? Why do tornadoes come through and damage homes and kill people? Why, why do we have natural disasters? Why do we have all these things in this world? If God is the authority over all things, couldn't he just stop it? The answer is he could. Just like he did in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41, when the disciples were panicking on the boat. And what did Christ say? Peace, be still. Christ demonstrated his authority over the sea. And yet, the reality is this. We live in a fallen world. The consequences of sin that have ravaged this world will continue until the day Jesus Christ destroys this world. And in the midst of that fallen world, in the midst of the consequences of sin, there are things that exist, not outside of God's control, but part of God's control, that he is allowing to happen, but all as a consequence of sin. And yet, in the midst of all of that, Christ is displaying his power and his authority. In the midst of the natural disasters, in the midst of the turmoil, in the midst of the uncertainty, Christ is displaying his power and his authority. Just like he did at the very beginning when we see in Genesis that in one small amount of time, he spoke everything into existence. He said it and it was so. He declared it and it was so. Why John chapter 1 verse 3 says, All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus Christ is the creator of all things. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 2 tells us that Christ is the heir of all things and he is the creator of all things. So not only is Jesus Christ God, therefore nothing is uncertain for him, but second of all, Jesus Christ is creator. Nothing is uncertain for him. He knows exactly how his creation will function. He has authority over everything in his creation. But then we move into verse 17. Jesus Christ is superior, therefore nothing is uncertain for him. Verse 17, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The song that the worship team just sang, he will hold me fast. I don't know the author of that original concept, but my guess is it probably came out of Colossians 1.17. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus Christ is superior, therefore nothing is uncertain for him. You say, well, what's the point of verse 17? What is Paul trying to communicate to us? He is the preeminent one. He is before all things. He is the, the first in all the line of anybody following him. He is the preeminent one. He is the superior one. 
Paul is trying to communicate to us simply this. He and he alone is Lord. There is no one else who is superior. There is no one else who has this authority. There is no one else who is better or greater or more capable than Jesus Christ. So in the midst of uncertain days, we are tempted to either look at ourselves or to look at other people around us, Dr. Fauci or Dr. Bricks or President Trump or Governor Whitmer or whoever we may be listening to or looking to, we're tempted to look to other people or we're tempted to look at ourselves or we can simply look to Jesus Christ. And what Paul is presenting to us in Colossians 1, 15 through 20 is this. Jesus Christ is far superior than anyone else in this world. Jesus Christ is far superior than Dr. Fauci, Dr. Bricks, and President Trump, and Governor Whitmer. In fact, as Paul has already told us in verse 16, all of those people fall under the obedience and the authority of Jesus Christ, that he is in control of them as well. The entire book of Hebrews is dedicated to showing us that Jesus Christ is superior. There is none greater, there is none better. In stark contrast to the priest who year after year after year sacrificed literally millions upon millions of animals Never sitting down, never accomplishing the, the full atonement, never being able to complete the task. They never sat down because day after day after day after day the sacrifices occurred. And then we come to Hebrews and the author of Hebrews says once for all he accomplished the atoning work of Jesus Christ was accomplished and he sits down, completed, done. Jesus Christ is superior. In his book entitled The Supremacy of Christ in an Uncertain World... John Piper says this, Would you want to watch a football game where all the players were no better than you? Or watch a movie where the actors could act no better than you and were no better looking than you? Or go to a museum to see pictures by painters who could paint no better than you? Why are we willing to be exposed in all these places as utterly inferior? How can we get so much joy out of watching people magnify their superiority over us? The biblical answer is that we were made by God to get our deepest joys, not from being superior ourselves, but from enjoying God's superiority. All of these other experiences are parables. God's superiority is absolute in every way, which means our joy in it may be greater than we could ever Imagine. Remember we alluded to a couple of weeks ago when we talked about Philippians chapter 2, that he is Lord and other people have claimed that they were the greatest, Muhammad Ali, I'm the greatest, I'm greater than Jesus Christ because there weren't no satellites around when he was around and no one could see him everywhere like they can see me, I am the best, I am the greatest. There's a man who did not revel and relish the superiority of Jesus Christ. In fact, you could argue he rebelled thoroughly against it. And in the midst of a world that is constantly seeking to have someone be established as supreme or superior, the Apostle Paul in Colossians 1, 15 through 20 says, listen, Jesus Christ is the superior one. And because he is superior, there is nothing that is uncertain for him. There is nothing that is out of his control. There is nothing that he cannot do. There is nothing that he cannot accomplish. So not only is Jesus Christ God, therefore nothing is uncertain for him. Jesus Christ is creator, therefore nothing is uncertain for him. Jesus Christ is superior, therefore nothing is uncertain for him. Number four, Jesus Christ is sustainer, 
Therefore, nothing is uncertain for him. Look at verse 17. And he is before all things, the superiority of Christ. And in him, all things hold together. I gave the illustration, I think it was two weeks ago, maybe, of having to care for my friend's goldfish when he went on vacation. And the goldfish did not make it, mostly because I was incompetent to keep track of a goldfish for a week. The beautiful thing is this. Dave Dietz is not in control of this world. The man who couldn't even keep a goldfish alive, could you imagine if I had to sustain this world? Could you imagine if you had to sustain this world? You would be stressed beyond belief and you would quickly find yourself fully incompetent of that. And yet, in this one little statement, Paul just simply glides right on by it. And in him, all things hold together like duh, no wonder. But you think about the ramifications of what Paul is, is telling us in verse 17. In Christ, everything is held together. The sun, the moon, the stars, the planets, every molecule, everything is held together 24 hours a day, seven days a week, every minute and every second. Jesus Christ perfectly holds everything together. And he does so without being stressed out. And he does so without being worried. And he does so without being fearful or anxious. He does so because that is who he is. He is the creator of all things. He has authority over all things. He is superior to all things. And he is the sustainer of all things. Jesus Christ alone sustains it. It holds together in its proper place. Hebrews 1.3 tells us this. He upholds all things by the word of his power. Acts 17, 28, in him we live and move and exist. See, here's the interesting challenge for us as believers. If we truly believe, as, as Paul has recounted for us here in verse 17, that all things are held together by Jesus Christ, if we truly account for the fact that Christ's grace is sufficient for us, if we truly believe that it is Christ and Christ alone who is our all-sufficient, then we will unequivocally find rest and strength in him and him alone. Scientists will try to act like they're the ones holding all things together. Like if we practice all these things that they're telling us to do, that everything will be fine, everything will work out. At the end of the day, they don't know. They can suggest and they can, they can give ideas and they can try to bring things to the table to say, well, let's try this and let's try that. But at the end of the day, not one scientist is holding all things together. So we turn on our television and we're, we're glued with, with bated breath to wait for the next thing that the CDC or the WHO is going to tell us. When in reality, all we need to do is turn to Christ and say, I don't know, but he does. And he's going to hold all things together. And he's going to sustain all things. And he's going to get us through. And he is the one that is going to be our all-sufficient. And if I truly believe that Jesus Christ is my all-sufficient, if I truly believe that his grace is sufficient for me, then you know what I need to do? I simply need to rest in his sufficiency and rest in his sustainability of all things. Because it's not me that's sustaining it. It's not Dr. Fauci that's sustaining it. It's not anyone who's sustaining it. 
It is Jesus Christ. If you have more confidence in a scientist or in a governor or in a president than you do in Christ, you are an abysmal testimony of a believer. Because your all-sufficiency is in your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And you rest in that. And you have confidence in that. Like Abraham was sustained as he looked for a city whose builder and maker is God. Like Isaac was sustained and the ram was found to take his place. Like Moses was sustained in the wilderness, in the bulrushes. Like Moses and Aaron were sustained as they fled from Pharaoh. Like the children of Israel were sustained in the wilderness. Like Elijah was sustained by the brook Cherith. Like David was sustained as he ran from Saul. Like Daniel and his three friends were sustained in their dietary restrictions. And in the lion's den and in the fiery furnace. Like Joseph and Mary were sustained as they fled from Herod. Like Paul who was sustained through beatings and shipwrecks and stonings. Each one of us today in 2020. As believers are perfectly sustained by Jesus Christ. Lest we think that no one else has ever faced any crisis like this. We need to be reminded of all the things that have gone on in the years before us. And to know that Jesus Christ perfectly sustained those people as well. The sustaining all sufficient attribute of Christ causes us to rest. It causes our mind to relax. It causes our body to relax, to be able to say, it is not me who has to let my mind go spinning out of control because I find my focal point in Jesus Christ, just like I was on that mountain, without any ability to see clearly around me, completely whited out, completely unaware of what to do next. Finding one simple focal point out there allowed me to have clarity in the circumstances around me. Some of you lay awake at night with heads spinning out of control. It's because, in part, you're not finding your true sufficiency in the sustaining ability of Jesus Christ. You say, well, I'm trying, and I'm working really hard, and I really want to do that, and, and I really want to believe that Jesus Christ is in control, and that Jesus Christ can sustain me, and that Jesus Christ is my all-sufficient. I really want to do that. Then as the Apostle Paul is reminding us, then you need to constantly remind yourself of who Christ is. Spend time reading the Psalms. Spend time reading other passages of the Scripture that clearly remind us he has sustained people from Abraham to Isaac to Moses and Aaron to the children in the, of Israel in the wilderness to Elijah and Elisha and all the prophets that came and Joshua and, and all of the men and women that served him before and David and Joseph and Mary and the Apostle Paul. That Jesus Christ sustained them and without difficulty without breaking a sweat, without stress, he is simply saying, I will sustain you as well. In a world that is spinning out of control, we need to find our source of security and strength in Jesus Christ. That not only is Jesus Christ God, therefore nothing is uncertain for him. Jesus Christ is creator, therefore nothing is uncertain for him. Jesus Christ is superior, Therefore, nothing is uncertain for him. Jesus Christ is sustainer. Therefore, nothing is uncertain for him. Paul reminds us, fifthly, that Jesus Christ is sovereign. Therefore, nothing is uncertain for him. Look at verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. 
He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything might be he might be preeminent. Paul takes us from the world out there, all things out there. Christ is the the Christ is God. Christ is the creator. Christ is the superior one. Christ is the sustainer out there. And then he comes into the church and he says, okay, just like he is out there, he's also in here. He is the sustainer. He is the sovereign. He is the superior one. He is the creator. He is the head. He is the one who is sovereign. Jesus Christ is sovereign. Therefore, nothing is uncertain for him. If you think that there is something that God is not in control of, you're not living in light of who he is. A.W. Pink, in his book, stated this, We read scriptures in vain if we fail to discover that the actions of men, evil men as well as good, are governed by the Lord God. Let me say that again. We read the scriptures in vain if we fail to discover that the actions of men, evil men as well as good, are governed by the Lord God. No matter who's in charge, whether it's President Trump or Governor Gretchen Whitmer, or elders in a church. God is in control. Well, can we really trust the elders? Can we really trust the leadership? I don't know. As much as we're human, maybe you shouldn't complete your complete trust in us. But you put your trust in Christ. You put your trust in Him who sustains all things. He is the head of the body. One of the things I find myself ironically thinking about more than anything else. I'm not too worried about this world. I'm not too worried about is Christ in control of the things of this world? Is Christ in control of the natural disasters? Yes, he's in control. Is Christ in control of all things that exist out there? Yes, perfectly in control. I can lay my head down at night and think God's got it. God's in control. But you know what I find myself festering on in my head? What about Whitneyville Bible Church? What's going to happen? What's going to take place? Is everybody going to come back? Are we going to be together? Are, is this going to happen? Is that going to happen? Is, is, this, is this thing going to take place? Is that thing going to take place? And the irony I find within myself is I can have perfect trust for God out there. Why? Because I'm not out there. I'm not in control. I'm not the governor. I'm not the president. I'm not a scientist. I'm not anything. So that world, God's got it. He's perfectly in control. And where I find myself having a little bit of angst, what about Whitneyville Bible Church? I don't even worry about the church as a whole. The, the gates of hell will not prevail against the cause of Jesus Christ. His kingdom will be advanced and he will do his work in the, as a church as a whole. You know what I find myself a little bit of anxiousness about? The church. This particular church. And the irony is, I can trust God for all this other stuff. And simple, 180 people, Whitneyville Bible Church in Alto, Michigan, I'm like, oh man. God, are you, are you really sure? You can be trusted here. I mean, yeah, I know you've got all molecules taken care of, and you've got all the mammals taken care of, and, and you've got all the invisible things and the visible things, and all those things out there. You, you've got Kim Jong-un, and you've got President Trump, and that right there is a full-time job keeping those two under control. You've got everything covered, and I don't worry about it. But God, what, do you, what about Whitneyville? I, I should probably worry about Whitneyville on your behalf, God. I, I should probably think a little bit more about this, because I'm not sure that you actually have it. And the fact that Paul comes into the church reminds us that in our own personal lives where we are involved, it's easy for us to have the most anxiousness. Because what do we do as a person? Well, what about my kids? And what about my family? And what about this? And what about that? Those things that we are 
personally connected to. Can God really take care of that? And the answer Paul says is yes, of course. He's the creator of all things. He's the authority of all things. He's the superior one of all things. He's sovereign of all things. Even the church, even our families, even our own personal interactions that we have with other people. And Paul reminds us, as does the psalmist in 135 verse 6, whatever the Lord pleases, he does. In heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. Kimberly and I watched a couple weeks ago, I think I mentioned it, the documentary on the blue whales. Fascinating. Fascinating animals. Massive animals. And yet, God does whatever he wants, even with the blue whale. Even with the largest mammal on the face of this earth, God is perfectly in control. I thought of the other day of Jonah and the story of Jonah. There's a Hebrew word that is used in the book of Jonah. It is the word manah, which means to appoint, which means that there was an intentionality in placing something at a particular point of time. And there's four mentions of the word manah in the book of Jonah. The first one is in chapter 1 where it says God appointed the great fish. He manahed it. He, he intentionally put that fish there. It wasn't like God was like, oh wow, that was cool. That worked out really well that that fish happened to be there with Jonah. No. God appointed the fish to be there. The great fish was appointed by God to be in a specific spot at a specific time. Then he appointed the worm, he appointed the plant, and he appointed the wind. Four times the word manah is used in the book of Jonah. God perfectly, intentionally showing his sovereignty over creation. If God can manah a great fish, if God can manah a worm, if God can manah the wind, if God can manah a plant, then what in the world am I worried about? Because God will show himself sovereign over all of the affairs of my life as well. And it's a reminder for me as I think about this particular message. I can look for verses, one through, or verses 15 through 17 and say, well, if you're worried about what's going on in the world, I mean, you have no say in that. You have no part in that, so don't be worried about it. You're not in control of anything out there anyway. God's in control. Trust it. But then somebody kind of turns that spotlight and says, okay, Dave, let's talk about Whitneyville Bible Church, or let's talk about your family, because that's a personal thing for you. Well, I don't know if God can really, I mean, I think, he, I, I'm sure he can, but will he? Will he sustain everything here? Will he keep everything going here? And it's like the text of scripture slaps you in the face and says, are you a complete imbecile that you think somehow God can take care of everything else? But not a church, an individual church, not a family. And the reality is in our heads. We work ourselves up into this tither that says God can control everything out there perfectly. No doubt about it. But I'm not sure he can control everything right in here. This little area right in here. He can control like 99.9% .9 of the things in this world. But that 0.1%, I'm just not, I better, you know what, I better hold on to that. And I better let my head spin out of control over that 0.1%. And Paul slaps us in the face with his text to say, listen, Christ is sovereign over everything, including, but not limited to, the church. Including, but not limited to, our personal interactions and involvement within 
our families. Finally, number six, Jesus Christ not only is God, Jesus Christ not only is creator, Jesus Christ not only is superior, Jesus Christ not only is sustainer, Jesus Christ not only is sovereign, but Jesus Christ is savior. And, and, and it's like Paul is going to drive us to a duh moment. That's what I think Paul in part is driving us to right now. Because he comes to the end of verses 19 through 20 and it says this. For in him, it's kind of the, how did this all happen? The, the natural question coming out of 15, 16, 17, and 18 is this. How? How is, how is Christ God? And, and how is Christ the creator? And how is Christ the sustainer? And how is Christ the superior one? And how is Christ the sovereign? Paul is going to drive it all right home to something that is very basic for us. For in him, in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Well, that was nice. The fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Christ. What did he do with it? Verse 20. And through him, God the Father was pleased. That's the implied statement out of verse 19 into verse 20. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, through Christ, all... God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The problem that we have as Christians is this. We tend to start on a macro level and work our way in. Oh, is God in control out there? Is God in control out there? Is, is God in control in this area? Is God in control in this area? Is God in control in the church? Is God in control in my life? And Paul drives us down to verses 19 to 20 and says this. Let's talk about salvation for a second. I've never seen Jesus Christ. Never seen him. I believe with all of my heart that Jesus Christ came, lived a perfect life, died on a cross, was buried, and rose again. I believe that. I have confidence in that. Unwavering. Never seen it, but I believe it. I'm confident of that. And when I was four years old, on September 30th, 1981, I prayed. It wasn't the prayer that saved me, but it was my faith in Christ. I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, a person I had never seen. A person I had never witnessed, uh, the, the mere fact that he had died on the cross. And I placed my faith and trust in him. And I believe and I have confidence beyond anything else in this world that I will, in fact, spend eternity with a person I have never seen with my own eyes. Who controls all things, who rules all things, and I believe with all of my heart that someday I will be gathered with every other person around his throne to worship him forever. I believe that unequivocally. Now let's take a step out of that for just a second and say... That's a lot. That is, you're banking your entire eternality on someone you've never seen. Something you never witnessed. Something that has only been described to you, passed down from generation to generation for 2,000 years. You believe this. Never seeing it. Never witnessing it. And yet you stand confidently and have given your entire life to tell other people about this particular thing. And I would unequivocally say, yes, I have done that. 
And it's almost like Paul wants to smack us in the face and say, listen, you have unequivocating confidence in your salvation. Yes, without a doubt. And you can't trust that God is in control amidst coronavirus? And you can't trust that God is in control of all the rulers and all the authorities and all the, the, the kingdoms and all the things that are out in this world? Well, but I don't know. I, I probably should worry about that. No, you really shouldn't. The same confidence that you have that you will spend eternity gathered around the throne of Jesus Christ, worshiping with people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, is the same unequivocating confidence you should have that Jesus Christ is perfectly in control amidst uncertain situations in a fallen world. Believers will stand and testify of their salvation amidst persecution. And that same believer will allow their head to spin out of control over the fact of whether or not God is in control of some virus, or whether or not God is in control of some government leader, or whether or not God is in control of the hospital system, or God is in control of whatever it is that we may think about. And it's like Paul is bringing us from this big picture up here and saying, wait a second, let's, let's flip it up on its head. You believe unequivocally Christ died for you. He's sustaining you. He is your Lord and Savior. You know what? You can trust Him that He's in control. It's that refocusing point that we all need to have to say, in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of a fallen world, in the midst of paralyzing fear that some people have, I don't want to go outside right now because what if? What if I get the coronavirus? What if I get sick? What if I infect someone else? What if this happens? What if that happens? What if this takes place? And we spend our lives spinning out of control mentally about all the what ifs. Paul says, wait a second, let's, let's just go back to your salvation. You believe unequivocally Jesus died on the cross for you. You weren't there, you didn't see it. But you believe that. The reconciliation work of Jesus Christ, all the things that Jesus Christ has done to be our Lord and Savior, all the things that happened where the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him, and the fullness of God was pleased to, through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, or making peace by the blood of his cross. You believe all of that, Jesus Christ is Savior. Maybe we just need to start there and say, I, I believe that. Can I believe this? Yes. Can I believe this? Yes. Can I believe this? As believers, we, we can almost take our salvation for granted and say, well, yeah, I mean, I'm saved. I don't doubt that. That's fine. But I worry about this stuff. But think about what you're doing in salvation. You are placing your faith and trust in a person you have never seen, who did something you didn't personally witness, and your entire eternal life is based confidently on that. And yet the rest of the world is something you have to stress about and you have to worry about. No one's arguing that we should be careless. But we better be arguing against believers who are paralyzed by fear amidst uncertainty of this life. Because that is not the testimony of Jesus Christ. Again, we're not saying be careless. We're not saying be stupid. But we are saying 
God has not given us a spirit of fear. That didn't come from God. But he's given us a spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. And in the midst of an uncertain world, we have a certain God, a certain Savior, a certain sovereign, sustainer, creator, God of all things who is holding us together. Who formed us, as the psalmist said in chapter 139, verses 7 through 16, We've already mentioned verses 7 through 10, but verse 11, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you, the night is bright as day, for darkness is as light with you, for you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made, wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well, my frame was not hidden from you, when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. In my very beginning formation, in those very early moments, everything knitted together for me. I had no control of that. I didn't form myself. God did. And the psalmist reminds us that everything is under the perfect sovereign control of God. From the blue whale to those invisible microscopic molecules. From Kim Jong-un, who no one's really sure if he's dead or alive, God is. President Trump, where we never really know what he's going to say, God is perfectly in control of him as well. No matter what we face, no matter what we deal with, Jesus Christ is perfectly in control. And as Abraham Kuyper said back in the late 1800s, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. And if Christ says everything is his, then what do we have to fear? The moment at which we think we have some kind of sovereignty is the moment at which we stop trusting in the true sovereign. The moment we allow our heads to go nuts and, and to spiral out of control with all the fears and all the what ifs is the moment we are not resting in the sustaining power of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our fear and our anxiety and our worry that coincides with the uncertainty of life is a direct correlation to our absolute knowledge and trust in the creator and superior, sovereign, sustaining savior of this universe. It's not to say that we can't have moments where we go, oh, what's going to happen? Or, oh my word, is this okay? Yeah, we all have those moments. But what do we do in those moments? What do we do in those moments that flood our mind with uncertainty? We must refocus our attention on the only thing that is certain, and that is the unchanging character and nature of Jesus Christ. He is the God of this universe. He is the creator of all things. He is the sovereign of all things. He is superior over all things. He is the sustainer of all things. He is the savior of all things. He alone is the one who is certain amidst a certain world, uncertain world. And there may be some of you listening today who need to say, I need to refocus my attention in the midst of this crisis on what I know to be true. There's not much we know to be true. Who knows? 
Articles are written every day. One refutes another one. Who knows what's true? Do masks work? I don't know. Some people say they do. I don't know if they do or not. I know Jesus Christ is in control. And for believers, that's that focal point. That when we look at it, and we allow our minds to focus on it, it brings clarity to everything else around us and helps us to navigate our way through the uncertain challenges that we are facing today. May today be a day where you refocus your attention on our wonderful Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We pray now that you would help us. Father, encourage us. Father, enable us to focus our mind and our heart and our attention on you. We thank you for all that you have done for us. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.